Please join me as we read the prayer for illumination together. Holy and, pre- holy and gracious God, may your Holy Spirit give us a spirit of wisdom so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope to which Christ has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance among us, and the greatness of his power for those who believe. Amen. Our reading this morning is from John 10, 1 through 21. This is what Holy Scripture says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This this charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May God bless the reading of his word. All together. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word that was read. Um, Thank you for the truths contained in there. We pray that this morning, you would give us attentive hearts and open hearts to receive what you would have to say to us. Um, we pray, like John the Baptist, that we would, that through this worship service, that we would decrease and you would increase, that Christ would be exalted, that we would come to know him better, to love him more, um, to center our lives on him and him alone. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. 
All right, so this past September, Jessica and I went on a trip to Europe. And it was sort of our delayed honeymoon, as we had been married more than a year ago. We went to the, the UK and to Italy, across six different cities. And you know, of course, in Italy, we ate a lot of gelato. And we had just overall a great time. And among one of the many sites that we saw, um, one of them that really stood out to us was the catacombs of St. Calixtus, which is found along the historic Appian Way in Rome. Now, especially for the kids who might not know what a catacomb is, it's basically an underground cemetery. So yes, that means lots of dead people. But it's not really that creepy at all. In fact, um, it's quite cool in temperature, and it's peaceful, and it's just really still and quiet. And here, in these, in these specific catacombs, there were several early popes that were buried, and their bodies were later moved, moved closer to Rome, and then uh, many Christians were buried there over the centuries. And they also contain a lot of Christian art as well. Um, and many of the fresco paintings that are found, you know, painted on those walls underneath, um, repeat similar images and themes over and over again. And the next image should be familiar to you. Here, millennia ago, we have a painting of Jesus carrying a lamb with sheep on either side. Now, these pictures we didn't take because you're not allowed to take pictures, but you know some professional probably took them. But we actually did see this picture um, there. And it's, you know, there's multiple, um, rep- multiple depictions of it throughout throughout the complex. And this image of Jesus, um, you know, carrying a lamb with sheep on either side, it's incredibly endearing. The next slide, we have a more modern take. And, um, but you notice, if you notice between the two pictures, the elements are almost exactly the same. So this image is powerful, and it, and it resonates, and has resonated with Christians throughout the century. And in our passage today, John 10, God's word explains what it means that Jesus is our good shepherd. What it means that Jesus is our good shepherd. And we need this passage because whether we realize it or not, we are sheep longing for a shepherd. We're longing for someone to lead us and to care for us. And ultimately, the only good shepherd is Jesus. And I want to organize our approach to this passage by asking three, perhaps, obvious questions. The first question is, who are the sheep? Who are the sheep in this, you know, this this kind of discourse or this parable that Jesus tells and he later expands on? Question two, who are the false shepherds? Who are the false shepherds? And question three, who is the good shepherd? Who is the good shepherd? With this in mind, as we enter into the passage, we first see that Jesus tells a parable of sorts in verses 1 through 5. And in this parable, there are two major characters, and they're acting out two different scenes. The first character is the man who is a thief and a robber. We'll call him the, the thief robber. And he approaches the sheep by improper means, right? As you read those, the first verse, instead of going through the gate... He has to climb over the wall to to get to the sheep. And in verses 2 and 4, in contrast to the thief robber, 
is a shepherd. And the shepherd comes through to the sheep by proper channels, by the proper means, by passing by the gatekeeper and the gate. And the shepherd then proceeds to call the sheep by name, and they hear his voice, and he, he leads them out. That's the, that's the contrasting image. But there's also another major character that actually spans both of those two scenes, and that's the sheep. So that brings us to our first question. Who are the sheep? The simple answer is that we, God's people, the church, we are the sheep. Now, I doubt most of us want to see ourselves as sheep because sheep are not exactly the most powerful, the most beautiful, or the most bravest of animals, right? We can all think of animals that we'd probably want to be like instead of a sheep. And yet, the Bible repeatedly compares us to sheep. Not just in this particular instance in John 10, but throughout the Old Testament as well and elsewhere. Um, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, probably the most famous psalm of them all, um, compares us to sheep. And why? Why does the Bible consistently do this? What is the defining characteristic of domesticated sheep? The defining characteristic of domesticated sheep is that they need a shepherd. A very simple answer. They need a shepherd. Now, sheep are not as utterly helpless as they are often made out to be. And I think, you know, I've heard sermons where it's like sheep are just, they can't do anything. They're not, they're not you know, they're, they're, they're animals. They still have instincts. But they are fairly helpless because they have been bred to have a lot of disadvantages for survival on their own. And one major disadvantage is that sheep have been bred to have wool and not hair. And so they don't naturally shed that wool. It has to be sheared regularly. And that's a practice that's been recorded as early as the late Bronze Age, or about 1500 BC. So most likely, even earlier, they were already shearing sheep. That's just the first written record. But here's what happens if a sheep isn't sheared for a while. Check out this big fella. <laughs> this, is a real, this is a real picture. And like a mythical creature, there were sightings of the sheep wandering around the Australian countryside not too long ago. I think it was within this last decade. And so, obviously, concerned citizens said, hey, there's this gigantic sheep wandering around the countryside. So they tracked him down, a team of you know, sheep specialists, I guess, tracked him down, captured him, named him Chris, and sheared him. It took 40 minutes and a team of five shears, but in the end, they removed 89 pounds of wool. That's a lot, right? And they estimated that Chris had not been shorn for five years. But as you can see in this, in this picture, if Chris was in an area with a lot of predators, he would be at a huge disadvantage, as he can barely see. I mean, look, his eyes are like completely covered, pretty much, and would be trying to run away from a hungry predator with an additional 89 pounds of wool on him, right? That's uh, not, not a good place to be as a sheep. And sheep also are not as dumb as they're often made out to be. They're, I've heard sermons where sheep are just the dumbest creatures of them all. They're actually ranked, I think, on, on par with a cow and you know, a little bit below a pig, which is a very smart creature. But they do have a very strong flocking behavior, which means that they tend to group together and move as a unit, 
by following the leader. It's kind of a defense mechanism um, that they've developed because of, you know, because of predators, and, and they're pretty defenseless, so they just kind of, you know, hopefully only one of them will get caught. Um, so thus, a good shepherd will act as a leader or will lead the more dominant sheep in the group by keeping them away from dangerous terrain. But unattended, that flocking behavior can lead to deadly results since they are conditioned to follow the leader. Now, the Associated Press published a news story in July 8, 2005, about how nearly 1,500 sheep jumped off a cliff near Istanbul, Turkey, because one sheep, presumably the leader, jumped to its death and the rest followed. And the only silver lining to the story is that only about 450 sheep died because they formed a cushion for the rest of the sheep. <laughs> it's uh, surprisingly, a lot of them survived, right? <laughs> now, we see that sh sheep need a shepherd to survive and thrive. They need a shepherd to care and nurture and also to lead with authority. And while we love the picture that we, that we saw of kind of the shepherd carrying the lamb, we have to remember that the shepherd is also the supreme ruler of the flock. The sheep follow and listen to the shepherd as we see in verses three and four. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now the ancient world understood this power and authority dynamic that even outside of scripture, rulers were compared to shepherds. That might surprise you. For example, Agamemnon, in both, who is you know, mentioned in both the Odyssey and the Iliad, the king of Mycenae, who commanded the united Greek armies in the Trojan War, is frequently given the title or epithet of Agamemnon, shepherd of the people. Now the shepherd ruled and nurtured, cared and commanded, and the overall importance of a shepherd to the sheep is such that Matthew 9.36 says this. When Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Do you see yourself as a sheep in need of a shepherd? And who is your functional shepherd today? I say functional shepherd because some of you in response to the first question, do you see yourself as a sheep in need of a shepherd? You would say no. You would say, I don't see myself as a sheep and I certainly don't need a shepherd. And yet something does rule you, drive you, motivate you. Another group of you would answer, yes, of course, it's Jesus. He's, he's, he's my shepherd. It's the living and true God. And yet, in our daily lives, he is often not our shepherd. And I would include myself in this group. We have other functional shepherds that rule us and that we are driven to follow. Jesus may be our professed shepherd, but we live according to another. If you do know Jesus, your functional shepherd or shepherds can never own you, but they often compromise, distract, 
or divide you from your professed shepherd. David Pallison, a Christian counselor, has written an article laying out what he calls X-ray questions that are meant to help us diagnose our hearts. In our busy lives, we often walk through life in a haze, and it's worthwhile to take time to regularly reflect on where our heart is and whether it's moving towards God or away from God. And here are some of those x-ray questions designed to reveal our hearts and our functional shepherds. First question, what do you want, desire, crave, wish for? The second question, what do you seek, aim for, pursue? What are your goals and expectations? Third question, where do you bank your hopes? The fourth question, what do you fear? What do you not want? What do you tend to worry about? What consumes your mind and your thoughts? The fifth question, and he has like 31 of them, what are your plans, agendas, strategies, and intentions designed to accomplish? These are meant to be soul-searching questions to for us to wrestle with and think about, is, is Jesus really my shepherd or is there someone else? Is there something else? These questions are also meant to reveal that the independent, self-ruled person is a myth, right? There's also out there in our culture, um, we, we tend to believe, hey, I don't have any shepherd. I'm my own man. But these questions show that there are things in all of our hearts that guide us, that motivate us, that rule us. And the reality is that something rules you today. Is it Jesus or is it something else? And a further reality is that besides the inward authorities that govern and guide us, we live in a world where there are many layers of external authority. And despite, as I said before, the narrative of that kind of modern, autonomous, self-governing person that we often hear, Many of us have bosses that we take orders from. For the kids and the youth, you are to obey your parents. For those in school, there are teachers and professors. And we are to obey the government. And according to the Bible, you know, in the church, we are called to submit to our elders. And perhaps another reason why we push back against the idea of being a sheep in need of a shepherd is that those external authorities, all of the ones that I mentioned, they've failed us. They've failed us in big ways. They've claimed to be shepherds or should have been a shepherd toward us, but instead they exploited us, they abandoned us, they used us, they hurt us, they controlled us, they neglected us. Which brings me to my second question. Who are the false shepherds? Who are the false shepherds? Jesus recognizes that there are false shepherds because in verse 1 of our passage, he speaks of the man who is a thief and a robber. And again, he speaks of this person in verses 8 and verses 10. And this man is not just a thief and a robber, but he's also a false shepherd because like a good shepherd, he comes to the sheep and intends to lead them somewhere. But instead of leading them to green pastures, He steals them away into the hands of strange men to be sold or slaughtered. 
And we see this in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Whatever these false shepherds do, it's the opposite of what Jesus comes to do, which we see, again see in verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a contrast. So who are these false shepherds, the thieves and robbers in this passage? Who is Jesus in this particular context? Who is he specifically speaking of? Because he's addressing a crowd, because with Jesus there's always crowds. And we can deduce that these are actually the religious leaders of the day. These are the Pharisees. Because in the previous chapter, John 9, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath, and thus he violates the extra-biblical Sabbath rules that the Pharisees had constructed. And given this miracle, Jesus' involvement, who was already kind of public enemy number one, and the violation of the Sabbath rules, this formerly blind man was brought before the spiritual authorities to be examined. And because of their opposition and hatred of Jesus, these spiritual leaders, these supposed shepherds of the people of Israel, they tried to pressure this formerly blind man to say that Jesus was a sinner, to deny that Jesus could have done this miracle, to say that, no, Jesus did not heal me. And when the healed man would not say that, would not give in to their pressure, they threw him out of the religious community. And at the end of chapter 9, right before this passage that we have today, Jesus finds this man and uncovers not only his spiritual not only his physical blindness, but now uncovers his spiritual blindness so that he leads him to faith to say that Jesus is Lord. And then Jesus tells the Pharisees that they are truly the blind ones and immediately launches into this dialogue about shepherds and sheep. So in context, it's almost certain that he's talking about the Pharisees. And it makes sense because the Pharisees, who ought to have rejoiced with this man when he regained his sight, what a miracle, were blinded by their fear and hatred of Jesus. And so they used this blind man as an object lesson of those who would oppose them. For to be cast out of the religious community was a very severe and harsh move, as religion in in that society and culture was deeply interwoven into every facet of life. It meant loss of status, friendships, even family and livelihood. This healed man was used and abandoned by those who should have been his shepherds. And speaking of abandonment, Jesus points out another type of false shepherd in this passage, the hired hand, who we see in verses 12 and 13. Now, the hired hand does not have malicious intent or nefarious designs upon the sheep. But in verse 12, when he sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep flees and the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. When the, when, when the threat comes, this guy just runs away. And the reason for this behavior, verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand is looking out for his own self-interest And because he has no love for the sheep, he is more concerned about protecting his own skin. This is why Jesus had such harsh words for the scribes and Pharisees throughout his ministry. They were appointed to care for God's people 
and yet they often use them, often abuse their religious authority and power. Just look at Matthew 25 for a sampling of their, of their actions. Matthew 25, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. They set up all these rules so that people cannot, people don't feel like they can enter the kingdom of God. And they themselves, because of their own unrighteousness, they perhaps are doing this as a way to prevent others from going in. And then verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Right? They, they go to the people and they say, they set up all these rules like you need to give, give a tenth of everything you have, even, even the little herbs in your herb jar. Right? All of those, you need to give a tenth. And yet, they're neglecting the big picture, justice and mercy and faithfulness and instead burdening people with unnecessary rules. Now let me ask you, have you had authority figures in your life that have not lived up to being a good shepherd? You were trusting sheep, ready to be loved and led and cared for, but these people did the opposite. If you've never experienced hurt from an authority figure, be very, very thankful because I think nearly all of us in this room know that pain of rejection, neglect, abuse, harsh words, iron-fisted rules from those in whom we placed our trust. In my own life, my father is one person that comes to mind, and I'm sure perhaps some of you can relate. I've mentioned this before, But growing up, he was a decent Christian man from all appearances who strove to love his family and serve the church. But when I was 17, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer and she passed away a few months later. My father then turned inward upon himself and abandoned, basically in many ways abandoned my sister and me. He became an absentee father who never came to visit us in graduate school nor attended any of our graduations. He never would even drive us to or from the airport or pick us up. He never went out with us to dinner, and he didn't come to my wedding. There's a lot of hurt there, and it's had a big impact on my life. On one hand, I can be deeply suspicious of authority because of the fear of trusting in a person and then being hurt. And on the other hand, I can place unreasonable expectations upon authority figures in my life. I have expected pastors and mentors to love and care for me perfectly in a way that I I hope that my dad would. And because of a failed shepherd in my life, I am at once a sheep who wants to live without a shepherd and a sheep that is ruled by a false shepherd. I have many false functional shepherds in my life but one of them is the desire to find care and mentorship from another. Now, this desire is not wrong in and of itself, but when it becomes an ultimate desire, 
it becomes a terrible master. It is not a kind and gentle shepherd that gives life and gives it abundantly, but one that kills and destroys. It kills and destroys because I can crush others with the weight of expecting perfection in the way they love and care for me. And I am crushed when they fail in being perfect, which leads to a scarred and broken relationship. How many of you here are crushing others in your life with the weight of expectation that they be a perfect shepherd? It could be your husband, pastor, mentor, manager, teacher, or parent. Are you expecting something out of them that they were never meant to be and cannot be? And are you crushed when they fail? In this world full of failed and false shepherds, we long for a good shepherd, one who will lead and love us perfectly, who knows us and we know him, who is for us and gives us life, true life. That brings us to my last question. Who is the good shepherd? Who is the good shepherd? In the midst of the crowd that day, Jesus looked out at those tired, worn, dirty, burdened faces who had experienced false shepherd after false shepherd, thieves and robbers and hired hands. And he said to them, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. If you knew your Old Testament well, as most Jews did in those days, you could not help but think of Ezekiel 34, which, part of which we read in our call to worship. There Jesus spoke to Ezekiel the prophet, beginning in verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You close yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. Like every failed shepherd we've ever known, the shepherds of Israel, specifically the kings, were about themselves and not the sheep. When they should have fed the sheep, they fed themselves. They neglected them, treated them harshly, let them become ill and lost. And while God condemns these false shepherds, he also makes a promise. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And reversing verse four, 
I will seek the lost and I will bring back the straight and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God himself promises to end the cycle of selfish and destructive shepherds by intervening, by coming himself as a shepherd. And yet, interestingly, in verse 23, he also speaks of a human king, a greater shepherd king than David, who had died centuries before and had failed many times as a shepherd of his people. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my shepherd David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And you can imagine, for the sheep in that crowd that day, who knew the voice of the good shepherd, their hearts were stirred. Hope awakened once again like floodgates opening. They could feel the release of all those years of longing and waiting for God, the good shepherd, to come and feed his people, for the greater human shepherd king in the line of David to come. And now there stood before them God the Son, enfleshed in humanity, declaring to his people and saying, I'm here. I'm the shepherd you've been waiting for. I am the good shepherd. And not only is he the good shepherd, he's the door, as he says in verse seven. Jesus is saying, I am the way into my flock, into pastures, into safety, and the guardian of my people. To be cared for and led by Jesus comes first by knowing him and placing your trust in him. Now, some of you here today have never done this. You've never entered into the people of God by knowing Jesus as the door, the way, the truth, and the life so that you might be saved and find pasture. But today, will you turn from false shepherds and false hopes and rulers of your life that only kill and destroy you and turn instead to the good shepherd who does not kill and destroy, who does not abandon you but lays down his life for the sheep, as he says in verse 12. And here's the most incredible thing. He lays down his life by becoming a lamb himself, by becoming like you in every way. And he becomes, instead of you, the sheep, being slaughtered, he becomes the lamb of God who slaughtered on your behalf. That you might always be secure, known, protected, and loved. He was cast out and abandoned. He was killed so that you might have life. It was his life for yours. Don't flee from him, but go to him. Listen to his voice. Respond to his voice. And some of you have entered to that door but you've lost sight of Jesus as the good shepherd. You've been led away by other functional shepherds who rule your life, who steal away your joy and security like a thief and a robber. You've been crushing those around you with the expectation that they will be your perfect shepherd. Hear again Jesus' words in verse 14. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He knows you. He has not forgotten you. He, know, he knows you with the same intimacy as a loving bond that he has with the Father from all eternity. Go to him again, for he is a source and fountain of all goodness, the shepherd who rules in gentleness and grace, who will never fail, who will never abandon or neglect or use or reject. He has already made his intentions clear towards you by laying down his life for you. His intentions are love and care and everlasting affection. So say again with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray together. Father God, the image of you as a shepherd is just so powerful. It's so powerful because we've all experienced imperfect, failed shepherds. And we are all longing for the shepherd who will love us and care for us perfectly, who will never leave us nor abandon us, who will keep us safe. And God, I know that many of us here today, we are trying to find that in something else other than you. Open our eyes to see that you truly are good. Make your word alive to us that we might know truly, that we might know from the depths of our heart you are the good shepherd and you love us. You know us. You call us by name. You lay down your life for us. Restore to us again the joy of our salvation and bring people from death to life. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.